Geoquit, hello. Welcome to the podcast series of the Center for Irish Studies at Villanova University. My name is Joseph Lennon, Emily C. Riley, Director of the Center. And I'm Jennifer Joyce, Associate Director and Curator of this series. We appreciate the support from our many donors, especially a generous grant from the Connolly Foundation. This podcast series aims to reflect aspects of Irish studies through the nine different academic disciplines that are taught through Villanova's Center for Irish Studies. Our faculty and students will engage in discussions with distinguished thinkers, artists, writers, academics, political leaders, and other campus visitors. We are very excited for our second season of this podcast. Our episodes this year explore current issues about race and dive into traditional song and story. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are looking for more Irish Studies events, please join us virtually this year for a rich menu of programming. You can follow us on social media, find us at our website, or email us at irishstudies@villanova.edu. Welcome. I'm Jennifer Joyce, the Associate Director of the Center for Irish Studies at Villanova University, and this is the second episode in Season 2 of our podcast series. I'm pleased to present to you our special guest today, for our conversation on race in Ireland, uh, Emer O'Neill. Emer is a married mother of two. Her son, Kion, is six, and her daughter, Sunny Ray, is five months old. Emer was born and raised in Ireland and is Irish Nigerian. Emer has a BA in education and a master's degree in leadership and administration. She teaches physical education in a secondary school in Bray and also coaches basketball. In 2005, she received a scholarship to play basketball in the US, prior to which she represented Ireland for basketball from the age of 13. Emer is also a plus size model and was the winner of the Simply Be Plus Size Modeling Competition in 2014. She's a huge advocate for promoting positive body image. She's the ambassador for a program called Free Being Me, which is a program with the Irish Girl Guides to encourage children to love their body and the skin they are in. She has currently been speaking out about Black Lives Matter in Ireland and hopes to bring awareness to the lack of diversity in the media, state jobs, positions of leadership, and in the Irish education system, and really looks forward to speaking about the difficulties of being a mixed race person in a predominantly white country in relation to the media. Welcome, Emer. What a varied and interesting resume you have. And the photos of your children are just amazing. So I should start by telling our audience members how you and I came to be connected. It's one of those small world Ireland stories. Um, every summer, as some of our uh, audience members know, I have the great pleasure of taking Villanova students abroad for a summer internship and study abroad experience to Dublin, Ireland. And while I'm there, I take some yoga classes in my spare time and came to know a lovely human being named Kitty McGuire, my yoga teacher in Ireland, who's become a friend and mentor. And over the summer, I had seen you, Emer, um, in a video on the RTE news site speaking about race in Ireland. And I was so impressed. And then one day I was on Kitty McGuire's Instagram page and saw that you were taking over. <laughs> and I thought, what a small world. Kitty knows Emer, Emer knows Kitty. And thankfully, um, you know, here we are together. So thank you so much for being here with me today. And we're so eager to listen to you and have this conversation about race in Ireland. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think what you're doing is exceptional and it's so it's so great to get just another kind of point of view on what's going on from, you know, an, an Irish Nigerian. Um, and I think it's it's really, really helpful um, to kind of expand on the discussions. And I do want to emphasize to everybody that Ireland really is not that small. OK, this story makes it sound like you're going, I'm going to know every single name of any Irish person you say. This is just totally ironic. Um, in my mind, I feel like it was kind of God whispering to you, you know what, I think you should go and talk to Emer O'Neill. I think that's a good idea. Um, you know, it, it, but yeah, Ireland is not that small. Um, but yeah, Kitty's great. And um, I was really lucky to be able to take over her page. And I have done so in over about 15 accounts now. And basically the reason why I do that is because a lot of the people that follow these people don't necessarily have people of color as their friends or in their circle or you know showing up in their social media so I just thought you know to maybe try and learn something a little bit different that might be a little bit outside their comfort zone um, and hear it from a fellow Irish person that you know the things that are going on here in Ireland that they're probably not aware of at all because they're you know in their kind of privileged you know, bubble. Absolutely. I'm so glad you did. Um, and maybe we'll start today um, with you just telling me a bit about yourself and your background growing up in Ireland. Sure. Yeah. So um, in 1983, my mom went over to Nigeria as a voluntary nurse and she met my dad over there. Um, and she, when she got pregnant, she came home to Ireland. So she was back in Ireland and that was 1985. Um, so she had no job, no money and wasn't really sure, you know, what her family and friends would think of the fact that she was unwed in Catholic Ireland and pregnant and pregnant, not just with a regular child, but with a black child. You know, that like that is huge to even have a child out of wedlock back in 1985 catholic ireland is just totally taboo let alone have your child be black on top of that so she was faced with a huge amount of anxieties and unknowns for the future um there would would not have been a lot of black people in ireland at the time either so you know she just wasn't really sure what to expect and i think for her she was still quite young her mum and her dad had passed um she honestly felt like she wasn't going to be able to probably take care of me very well and so she did actually um go and check out an an adoption agency so she was heavily pregnant at the time nearly due and she went and spoke to them about giving me up for adoption when I was born and they said of course we will take her we take all kids but we do want you to know that if you do give her up, the chances are she will never be adopted. There is nobody that is going to adopt a mixed race um, child that is black. And you just need to know that this is just from experience. So when you give her over, she will spend the rest of her life in care until she's 18. Um, so you need to keep that in mind and go away and think about it before you make your decision. And so she did. And she said to herself, you know, at the end of the day, yes, I might not have money. I might not have anywhere to live, but I can at least give her love. And I am her mother. Uh, and the idea of me growing up in a mother and baby home, she ju it just wasn't happening. She couldn't do it because what she was trying to do was give me a better life. And that was not a better life. Um, so I thank God every day that she was the strong woman that she is. And 
she saw fit that she could take care of me and um, because I have some friends that are mixed um that did grow up grow up in mother and baby homes and it was horrific absolutely horrific you know so I I really dodged a lot of pain and trauma there with her having the strength to hang on to me and um, you know we we suffered a lot of of racism even from very very early age like so if she was walking down the road like she'd be called the n-word lover and people would call me the n-word even as a baby um we started out in like a council housing estate so I don't know what the equivalent is like the projects I suppose um and um we weren't welcome there at all and uh we at one stage our house was was we were burnt out um it only damaged the downstairs um thankfully and um on another time they stuck a hose in the back window and flooded the whole downstairs of the house so as a single parent my mum was living with me in complete another fear to be honest and um it wasn't a safe area for us and she knew um we weren't we weren't wanted there you know so she did her best to work really hard uh she's a nurse did a lot of nights and um saved money and had a little help from her family and she bought uh, another home for us so that we could maybe have more of a peaceful life and i could have a, a safer upbringing um and uh you won't believe it but i actually faced um racial issues in that estate as well um I, there was a boy who was the same age as me at the time so about 10 and he just did not like me or the color of my skin. So he would follow me around with his friends and he was a big kind of stocky lad. And um, he would just call me the N-word and tell me how he was gonna catch me one day and he was gonna kill me. Um, and that was, you know, like an ever, every other day type of occurrence for me. Um, and it was it was horrible. Like I, I, I didn't really want to go out really at, by the end of, of it all. And, um, the way that my mind and body took that on board was that I was actually just really embarrassed and I was really ashamed and I was so sorry to my friends that they had to like you know persevere through that as well because I'd be just in my little kids group and then there's this guy coming up you know attacking me and you know and they're obviously feeling very uncomfortable so instead of really even thinking about myself, I was thinking about what my friends were thinking or what they were going through or how they probably wouldn't want to be my friend anymore if this was going to keep happening to them, you know, even though it wasn't directed towards them at all, just, you know, association, you know, by association. Um, so we moved again. And um, the last place we moved to, that's where my mum still lives now. And uh, I finished out my secondary school high school uh, education there before I went to America and I had a very nice time there and was left alone um, within the comfort of my home however it was very different when I was out socializing or you know in other aspects of life and um, I did play basketball for Ireland so I trained a lot and I would train almost every day after school and um, we don't we didn't have great facilities so I was actually training on an outdoor uh, tarmac um concrete solid concrete uh floor like you know and um I would have stones thrown over the wall at me while I'd be training I would hear my name and then I'd hear the n-word and you know I suppose I just kind of got got used to it um and 
built some sort of resilience towards it all. I know that I was very different in my town. There's probably four people in my whole town that were um, black or mixed or a person of color. In my school of 800 students, I was the only person that was black. Uh, I had no teachers, no educators, no deputy principals, no assistant principals, no principals, nobody in leadership or administrative roles that were a person of color. Um, ever even now as a teacher I'm 34 I still have yet to meet um, a deputy or assistant or a principal that is a person of color and I have been doing a lot of these talks um, on tv on the radio and I'm I'm, I'm like basically I, it's like a, a question in itself like because if you are out there if there is somebody out there because obviously I don't know everybody in Ireland um, if you are a black person or a mixed race person, um, could you let me know if you are in a leadership role like that? And it still has six months later, there's nothing. No one has corrected me on that fact. So I just want you to think about that for a second. Like, imagine every single day, the people that are teaching me, the people that I'm seeing in the corridors my entire life, people in leadership roles that are telling me what to do and how I should be. Everybody is white all of the time, every day. And even for me, I became a teacher, but I had never actually seen a black teacher before. So it wasn't like, oh, I've seen this, so I know I can achieve this. You know, you see it and you believe what you can you can achieve. Um, and even now at 34, I would like to be a principal at some stage. That's kind of where what I'm working towards in my in my future career. But again, like I would be the first black principal of a school in the whole country. Like and in the 21st century, I just kind of it just blows my mind, you know. Absolutely. That's incredible. You've given us a lot here and I can't, I can't imagine what it must have felt like the trauma that you experienced and what it did um, in terms of your identity formation. And obviously, you know, you're a really strong woman um, and your resilience is um, incredible. I wonder if when you at eight, I think at 18, you mentioned maybe when you got through secondary school, you had this opportunity to go to the U.S. Um, if you want to say a little bit about how that came about and whether or not, you know, there was fear in leaving what you knew. So sort of like, even though it wasn't safe and didn't feel, uh, you didn't feel as welcome, you know, were you looking forward to leaving and finding something else or were you nervous and fearful of what you might encounter yet again in a new environment? Like, I mean, everybody's uh, perception of America is from what we see on TV. So it just looks amazing. And like whenever you'd watch things, you'd see, you know, like a lot of different ethnicities um, and people that looked like me, which was like amazing and, and had my kind of hair and my, my body and my features and stuff. So for me to get the opportunity to go to America was everything because I felt like when I get there, I'll finally have people that look like me and I won't be that person that walks into the room and everyone turns and stares at them or be constantly the only black person in an entire room all of the time. Um, and funnily enough I, I was I was anxious about it obviously because I was only 18 I was leaving my my family my my country everything um and I it was the unknown and um I was going to Mississippi as well and to be honest I didn't really know much about it I didn't know about really the history I you know I just kind of thought in my mind there's racism here but it won't be like that when I go over there you know because 
there's just it's such a mixing pot. Um, but I, I, I found that it was extremely racist and um, in loads of different ways, weird ways. It came at me in ways that I wasn't I wasn't prepared for, like things like I didn't realize they had black people in Ireland um, or, you know, uh, it's so hard to like to understand your your accent is that like a black or a white thing or you know or I'm not that welcome let's say in one group of 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 black people but then I'm also not that welcome in a group of white people because I'm neither and I didn't even realize that this was a thing it was when it really dawned on me that I actually am just in limbo so I'm too white to be black but I'm too black to be white so black people don't say that I'm black they, they're like you're brown like you're off white like you're not even black and white people are like you're black so it's like I don't even know what I am you, you said a word identity and that is a huge thing and that has been a huge thing and is a huge thing in my life is to to try and figure out my own identity and who I am and where I belong um, and basketball like so it, I've never I still haven't found a culture that I belong to I but I found a thing that I could belong to that I surrounded my identity around that and that was basketball um I I did find it really hard to make friends when I was in the States and not only because obviously I'm from Ireland and we're completely different in loads of ways as far as our culture um but also the skin color thing just really really messed with people they they really couldn't quite grasp that I was Irish you know and I they're like you sound like you are but you don't look like you are and it's like how are you black and you know and I'm like well my mom is Irish and my dad's Nigerian and you know but I would have faced so much of that at home constantly from people when I go out like where are you from and I'd say I'm from Bray and they're like yeah but like where are you like really from and I'd be like oh like Wicklow like well like you know Wicklow like Ireland I, I don't know like I'm like what are you what are you asking me I'm not obviously not answering the question right but I don't know what you want me to say but as soon as I'd say my dad's Nigerian it'd be like well yeah there it is that's what we were looking for so you're Nigerian and I'm like I'm not Nigerian though because I'm born and raised here in Ireland I actually have no influence from my Nigerian heritage whatsoever unfortunately you know and so I'm as Irish as you are because I've been raised the exact same way as you have in the same society and systems that you have too um, you know, so and I think really racism really became apparent to me when I went to America. Um, like I had never dated a black guy ever because there really aren't weren't any in, in Ireland, definitely weren't any in my town. So um, but when I went to America, I noticed that none of the white guys in my college in Mississippi would even look twice at me. And it was so strange, but I was getting a lot of attention from African American men, and I had never even been with a black man before. And um, yeah, I, it had to be explained to me, to be honest, because I didn't realize it was a thing. But like, you know, like that, you know, whether or not a white guy did like you, if he brought you home to his family, that could be a really big issue, Emer. And that's kind of where that's coming from. And that was a lot for me to take on board, you know, because I had these ideas in my head that I, when I went to America, I would finally find a, a culture that would accept me or, you know, um, so that, that was, that was quite tough um, and a huge, huge, huge shock to the system, I think for me. Yeah. It's interesting when you're talking about um, these stories of microaggressions and macroaggressions, uh, you know, toward you, the ones you experienced in the U S um, 
many of them are resonating in my memory um, from students of color that I've taught at Villanova or this summer there was a, an Instagram account created called Black at Villanova and black students came out and started to talk about some of the the aggressions that had happened or the injuring that had happened being in a predominantly white culture or campus. Um, And then when you're talking about, you know, where do I belong? And, you know, I'm not Nigerian, I'm Irish. I think that that is um, really what's, what's happening in Ireland today, right? Is that there seems to be a redefinition or hopefully a more inclusive definition of what Irish looks like, sounds like, is. And um, in one of the courses I teach where we study um, contemporary Irish identity, so there's that word again. Um, And we look at, you know, all of these voices from these these narrators, these these writers who are uh, are coming from perspectives like yours, where they're beginning to tell their stories and we're hearing, you know, even, even, even in the, in the distinction of, of, um, you know, race, of gender, of ethnicity, of immigration, of all sorts of sort of narratives that, that would fall under the umbrella of being Irish. Um, and one of, um, one of our students at Villanova, her name's Mac O'Reilly, Mackenzie O'Reilly. So it's a good Irish name, right? Nice. Uh, Solid Irish name. <laughs> she was in this class with me. She also came to Dublin um, and she is now the president of our Irish Cultural Society, our student group on campus. And Amazing. she began to um, sort of dive into race in Ireland in her scholarship. She started to like investigate this summer, um, in particular with the wave of you know, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter um, after the death of George Floyd. And she started to read some of these narratives, watch some films, and she started a, a really neat um, week, a monthly group uh, online with her student group called Discussions of Race in Ireland. And she has asked me if, if I could indulge you a bit, um, if I would pass on a question from the Irish Cultural Society and from, from Mac O'Reilly. Um, Certainly. And it's related to what we've been discussing um, about racism in the US. And she says, I also think it would be interesting to know how racial history is taught in Ireland. I know in the US history tends to be whitewashed in spite of the fact that our economy was built on the backs of slaves. And I would Mm. be interested to know how Ireland teaches its students about the impact of race on its history given that it, it has had a different historical path. And I, you know, as you answer that, I'm, I'm, th- I'm also thinking, you know, I wonder what, what role that plays in, you know, what you took with you in your sort of bag of, of skills and coping mechanisms to America. And then only to find out that, you know, the history here is slightly different than the history there. And yet there are some overlaps in the ways in which you're, you were being treated. Mm. Well, um, unfortunately, uh, in Ireland, we don't actually uh, teach much about uh, slavery. Um, and even though there have been black people in Ireland for centuries, uh, we in school have never learned about any black history in Ireland. It's literally only since the Black Lives Matter movement happened that this has all come to surface. And I think to myself, why did we never learn about this in school? I really literally did not know that there were black people living in Ireland that many years ago, you know, and because there's no 
record of them, you know, um, even though they had, they did make a stamp in Ireland at the time, uh, it was just not something that was wanted to carry on through, you know, Irish history, I think. Um, changing the education, what are the syllabus is at the moment and the curriculum is, is huge and that's one of the major things that kind of I'm an advocate for is like I mean I went to school in Ireland but I never learned about any of my African side because that was not on the curriculum whatsoever the closest thing that I remember getting to was you know we might have done a couple of pages one time um, and watched a movie and then um, I remember doing To Kill a Mockingbird which was horrific because we did no prep work for what racism really means, what the N-word stands for, why you don't want to use it. Um, and I myself hated the N-word because I've been called it so much um, and I, I've i never said it. And but there I was sitting in class having to read it out loud amongst my peers um, and the, them also read it. And every time somebody say the word, everyone turns around and stares at me. You know, I think that is a huge issue in Ireland because we don't we haven't given our kids the prerequisite knowledge to understand the history behind things. So you've got a lot of kids saying the N word because it's in their favorite songs. And then they're really confused as to why black people can say it, but they can't. And I did have that actual discussion with a kid from school. And initially I thought he was kind of like mocking me. I wasn't sure. You know, because you kind of think like you obviously know what the N word means. But when I actually got into it with him and about slavery and stuff, he is mount. I had to actually lift his jaw off the ground, you know, and I was like, and that in a nutshell is why white people don't use the N word. And he was just like flabbergasted, you know, but that's terrible. Like we're doing an unservice to our children to not prepare them to step out into the world and understand the reasoning behind it and be able to see it because a lot of the work that I've been doing, the messages I've received are, you have opened my mind and my eyes to things that I did not even know were there. And they were right in front of me. And that's the thing. Once you see it, once you see the systematic racism that is in place and you realize that we have European standards of beauty beaten into us, that white is best, um, and that everybody that we look up to in all of our history books, everybody is white. When you see that, you can't unsee it ever again. And it's so evident. Like when I turn on my television and I flick through Irish channels, you won't see a single person of colour. You know, reporters, news anchors, uh, weatherman, you know, sitcoms, you name it. Like there's, there's, it's just white, just white uh, as well as our education even our books you know like when I would read our school books even as a kid you know um, I was never featured in those books I was just looking at Anne and Barry the two white kids you know and so on so forth all the way through up and through high school and it's the same thing with my son um, and I, I that's why I'm like this needs to change like we're talking 34 years later and there's still no changes have been made where African history has been written into the curriculum you know like people even without it being written into the curriculum you yourself as an educator it, it, you can do those things so when you do a novel in school why not choose a black author or where the main character of the play the protagonist or whatever is is a 
is a black person or a person of color, you know? Um, these are just things that like we, I think here in Ireland are just so blind to because as a white Irish, you see yourself represented everywhere. They have no idea what it's like to walk into a supermarket and look at a, a whole line of magazines, like 50 magazines. And there's like one person of color on one of those 50 magazines. Um, how that feels to be so totally ostracized from your own country, you know? Um, so, I mean, the short answer to that is we don't have education. We don't have black history here in Ireland. There, it is there, but it's not taught and people don't know about it. Um, so we need to do a better job of that here. Um, most of my, cause I took history 101 and 102 when I went to America. And that's when I learned about um, African history and slavery um, as whitewashed as it is it was the, the extent of the knowledge that I had known to be honest you know so so in addition to adding that type of history in, in our into education in Ireland also it sounds like you're advocating for representation in media um, yes. is there anything else that you would um think needs to change in Ireland or anything that you would like people in the U.S. listening maybe to this podcast to know anything further about race or racism in Ireland? So in most businesses and schools and clubs and whatever it may be there you know there's anti-bullying policies and the likes there's nothing for anti-racism and there's no standard that says as a school that you must have because there are there are laws where edu in education system in secondary and primary schools you have to have anti-bullying but bullying policies you you know you have to have um um you know technology use policies you have you've you've got policies at the wazoo but you don't have anything that talks about anti-racism and that is on its own they cover it underneath bu bullying but they are two completely separate entities. And that's an issue when you don't even have a policy for it. Clearly, you're not even um, acknowledging that that is happening. And there's obviously no repercussion if it does, because you don't have any policy on it. You ca a child will just say, I haven't broken any school rules. You don't even you don't have a policy that says that I can't use the N word or that I can't, you know, treat somebody differently because they have a different skin color. Um, and that's so that's one of the things that we have done here. My group, I started a group speak for racial justice. And one of our things is we actually put an anti-racism policy together that we're going to send to all the schools in Ireland um, and they can just, you know, change it to adapt to, you know, their schools so that nobody can make an excuse that, look, well, we don't have time to be making new policies, yada, yada, yada. It's imperative that every facility has these things and in the workplace, because it happens young and old. Um, we, we're, we've just, I think, signed off on a legal document for as for hate, for hate crimes, that there is an actual law now for hate crime. Um, but like our guardy, our police officers are not trained at all. They have no training in hate crime. So they don't know what to do. So if I ring and I say, which has happened to me, hi, my name is Emer. Somebody has graffitied my name all over the wall in my estate. Um, they have no protocol protocol for that because they've never been trained in it that like it's like freeze up and uh okay well i'll take your name uh you know so that is a huge thing because that's very very petty compared to some of the stuff 
that happens to people on a day to day. You know, a lot of videos have have gone viral of like an, a white Irish woman screaming at a, a black man to go back to his country and calling him the N word and and all that. You know, and that that happens a lot. But for him to go and report that, it has no category to even fall under because we don't have it. And uh, so we need to make huge steps um in that and then I, I'm a huge advocate for the media you know like again like so I model but I might get four jobs in a year in comparison to the girls that I'm modeling with let's say who would get four jobs a week and you know basically it's just that like you're not really what we're looking for you know you're just not that's not the look yeah you know sorry yeah. and it's it's like no in Ireland we need to take a step back and actually have a look at our country and the demographics of our country. Like I can't just go to the shop and buy hair conditioner and shampoo for my hair. I get it shipped in from the UK and from America. I can't go into a hairdresser and ask them to just do my hair. They can't do it. Um, I have to go and find a woman from Nigeria that's moved over here that can do my hair and pay her like extortionate prices to do it. You know, I, I, I find it very difficult to find foundation for myself. And when I would do jobs, modeling gigs and stuff like the hairdressers on site and the makeup artists don't have my uh, foundation color and don't know how to do my hair. So I end up doing my own hair and I do my own makeup where everyone else is sitting there being catered to. And um, so like in, in so many avenues that I turn, I'm constantly being reminded you're different and we we cannot facilitate your difference here. You know, so um, I've started working with a hairdressing company and um, they reached out to me because they want to make their stamp uh, on the Black Lives Matter movement. And their way of doing it is to try and train their hairdressers in their shop to be able to even just wash and blow dry Afro hair. That's it. That's where we're starting to be able to wash and blow. Cause I can't go to a hairdressers and say, hey, can you just wash and blow dry my hair? They can't, unless it's somebody that's probably from a different country or was trained in England. Um, I, I've been turned away. I've been told just flat out no. So I leave with my tail between my legs, super embarrassed. Um, or I have half the shop up all touching my hair to be like, oof, um, um, okay, how will we, oof, where do we even start? Or I'm told, look, we're gonna have to double the price. I know you have short hair, but like, it's so thick. You know, um, and like I want to in the future be able to go for a little hairdressing pamper session with my daughter. My daughter has has straight hair and it may or may not change. It doesn't look like it's going to change. She's probably going to have straight hair. Um, but like right now, we couldn't go for a cute little mommy and daughter day out because uh, one facility wouldn't be able to do both our hairs. I'd have to bring her to a regular Irish shop and then I'd have to go and find a Nigerian woman to do my hair, which is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? In this day and age, with the amount of mixed race people of colour and black people in Ireland, it's it, there's no excuse for it anymore. We've been able to turn a blind eye forever. And mainly because people like me have just been quiet. I, I've never stood up like maybe once a year or twice a year. I'll put up a post about, you know, racism and how it's hard. But that's it, because I have learned in the past. It's like, oh, will you ever stop going on about this racism thing? It's not even a thing. It's a card that you pull out every time you feel like you've been done wrong um, and I think with all the videos that I've been making and putting out people are just astonished at some of the events that have happened to me over the course of my life and they do like would never have thought that that kind of stuff was happening here in Ireland um, but it is like up to a couple of weekends ago I'm out with uh, some friends socializing and we're leaving the establishment and a man just stops me in the door and starts touching my hair 
And I took a step back and I said, can you please not do that? And he's like, oh no, like it's dead. I really want to touch it. Like, come here, let me touch it. And I'm like, like where and why do people think that that's okay? You know what I mean? Like imagine I just stopped him in the middle of a doorway and just started feeling his baldy head. Like, hello, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's insane. And then the thing is, it's always put back on you. So by, by me being upset that he's trying to touch my hair, it's like, oh, why are you so touchy? Like, what's your problem? Like, then it's just straight into gaslighting and it's my fault. And the friends that I was with that night, they were just, they, they, we had left and they just stopped and they were like, what did, what just happened? Did that actually just happen to you? And I said, I tell you, this happens to me every time I go out. And they're like, I know, but like, I've never actually seen it actually happen you know and I'm like well now you have and they're like we need to go back and we need to address this with him and I'm like no we don't because I've lived with this my entire life I know my battles to choose this is not one let's go out and enjoy ourselves okay but I could just see how flustered and angry they were at this and I'm like try living that like that is one out of over a hundred times that's happened to me um, and the constant, where are you from? Where are you really from? You know, in a country that I've represented my country playing basketball, I've worn my Irish jersey with pride. I know our national anthem inside and out. Um, I can speak Irish. You know, I have, my son goes to an all Irish school. I play the bear round, I play the tin whistle. I love my country. I'd actually have a, a lot of pride in my country as well, which is so funny because so many people don't even accept me as being Irish but that's all I know I can't be anything else this is where I'm born and raised you're like it's like asking me to just go and and, and change who I am inside you know just because I don't necessarily look like it on the outside but it's so important for the Irish people to realize that you know and the world actually is that that typical idea of what a typical Irish person looks like it is no more I I am a typical Irish person as well now and, you know, and I know change is hard for people, but just put yourself in the shoes of somebody that feels like they're not even welcome in, in their own country, you know, in their community. One that they have extreme pride about also. I, for one, am so glad that you have broken your silence <laughs> and that you're speaking out in these ways because, you know, it, it's, it's a necessity at this point. And it sounds like from what you've just described, you know, like many, um, you know, uh, B BIPOC people here in the US that, you know, the constant injury and harm to black and brown bodies takes mm -hmm. a toll. And one yeah. of the, one of the um, sort of lessons that I learned in my own journey this summer about checking my white privilege, right? And sort of taking a look in an yeah. effort to be anti-racist, to learn what's a, what does that mean and what does it look like to be actively anti-racist? Exactly. The notion that a lot of white people with our privileged skin place the burden on people of color to teach mm -hmm. us and educate us. And as Correct. you're speaking, I'm just really sort of hit by the fact that you're, you know, you're offering this education, which might be something different, but it is a lot on you. Very burdensome, I would imagine, to, you know, contact the, the hairdressers union of, of Ireland and say, this needs to change. And then contact the board of ed and say, hey, education, this policy has to go into place. That it's falling on, you know, that there's not that same type of collective that we might have here. And so, you know, as, as, as a, 
as a new acquaintance, but hopefully, you know, future friend of yours, I'm also wanting to check in about your self-care protocol. I mean, you've mm-hmm. been the victim of some of these race, racist attacks and um, hate crimes, you know, yeah. as late as, as recent as last week. I mean, I've yeah. been following this with you and, you know, what is it that you're doing to, to release some of that burden and to remain whole and grounded and strong in yourself and your mission? Well, I'm just so blessed that I have a great family. I have an amazing husband who is a white man. And I remember we, we've been dating, uh, you know, maybe six or seven months. And I, I, I did say to him, if we're going to stay together, are you ready for this journey? And, you know, he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, this journey of being with a mixed woman. And he's like, but you're like, what journey is that? And I was like, you'll see. But I need for you to just understand that it is going to be different. Okay. And at the time, I know that went in one ear and out the other. And he just had no clue. And it's only like we were together six years now. But he's learning every day. And he sees it every day because like I said once you see it you can't unsee it um and it has been hard for him because he isn't as resilient as I am because I've had to deal with this my whole life so for him it's been very tough like we've had our house egged um I've had my name plastered all about eight different areas all around my hometown and calling me names you know emphasizing that all lives matter that I'm a liar and you know I've been told um what's your problem go back to your own country if you don't like it here this is my country you know um as far as the n-word goes it's probably because she she hears it a lot but it's probably because she's saying it all the time sure all black people are and maybe she's just listening to too much rap you know like these are the mind frames that are out there and um, but having a f- my family and having that support and having my kids and my friends and actually so much support from like the whole of Ireland and different countries like even yourself like it has helped me so much because one of the biggest things that is so important for people to know is that the trauma that those experiences cause on you depending on the support that you have around you or at that exact time or for that week after um that will depend on how badly the experience will traumatize you um and so many things that have happened to me in the last six months have have not managed to break their way and and penetrate my soul because I've had so many people like literally gather around me and give me their energy and give me their love and it has is has strengthened me from the inside uh, sometimes I look at what I've done in the last six months with a newborn child and I think to myself how did you what like how and how are you not ready to keel over and die but I'm not and it's because I have so much support from people even people I don't know that means so much, you know, and just to know that I'm making any little tiny difference anywhere, or reaching that one person that was kind of on the fence, you know, or getting through to that all lives matter person being like, okay, now I get it. Right. So you're not saying that black people are more important than white people. What you're saying is you aren't equally treated to begin with. So we have to, you know, tidy up the one room in our house that's messy before we do the whole house. I get it. I get it now, you know, um, and that's really what has kept me going, you know, and, you know, beautiful kids. I, I, I want them to have a great future. And the drive comes from 
seeing them every day and having conversations with my son, let's say, who has told me that he wished that he had white skin like his friends and everybody else. Um, two days ago, he said to me that uh, he wanted his hair to be able to blow in the wind the way his two best mates hair do. And, you know, it breaks my heart because I know exactly what he's talking about. I've spent my entire life wanting that. So, and and, and I have to do a bit of tough love here and say, look, Kai, uh, you're never going to have that hair, pal. That's just it. We have beautiful Afro hair. It's not supposed to blow in the wind. Our hair stays stationary. And that's the beauty of it. You will never have their hair. But you know what? They will never have your hair either. You know, um, so it's. It, it has been tough. I do um, some mindfulness and uh, stress relief meditation, some breathing. Anxiety does present itself at times, especially if I think my home is under siege, you know, from, you know, I don't know who even. And that's what's the scary thing. Like we've had to get cameras out um, the front of our house, you know. Um, but I think, you know, the the goal and what the fight is all about is is what keeps me going um and i always take time for myself for me this journey has been extremely therapeutic as well you know so i can't i can selfishly will say that being able to talk about these experiences and having people actually listen to me for once has done more than any counseling or therapy session could ever do really and truly you know um but I do you know do I love to cook and I do like arts and crafts and I like singing so I make sure to you know continue doing those things um for myself to ensure that you know I'm having a decent amount of balance but I have a lot of friends around me that will, will check me you know and say look I think you're doing too much I need you to like just tone it back and take like a month break and I'm like a month break are you mad I can't I'm on a roll we have to keep going with this and they're like Emer, you know it's not going anywhere I'm like I know it's not and they're like so you need to take care of yourself take a step back switch the phone off and don't take any more bookings for you know podcasts or zoom calls or interviews or anything and I'm like okay you're right but I do need to be told that you know, because, you know, yourself as an athlete, we, when we're, when we're doing something, we're doing it, you know, and it, we're going hard at it, like, and that's it until somebody pulls us back. So, um, yeah, I, honestly, it's the support systems around me and, and the fact that I think I've been preparing myself my entire life for this. Well, I'm not yeah. surprised at all that you're surrounded by an army of angels because you are a beautiful, bright light in this crucial cause. Um, and we here at the Center for uh, Irish Studies at Villanova University, we really want to learn more about how we can take action and support you in these efforts. Um, and hopefully this is just the beginning of continued conversation that we can have, but you can know that we're, you know, we're also there championing you. Um, I'm so humbled by your strength, your resilience, and most importantly, you know, uh, your ability to come on a podcast like this and to share the intimate details of your journey so that others like your children may not have to suffer so much in the end. So thank you so much for being our guest today, Emer. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and thank you for sharing the word and keeping this relevant and, you know, just being a part of, of the fight. I really, I thank you and I thank your students as well for taking the time to listen and to engage and for all of whatever other work that they're doing themselves, you know, keep going, you know, we need to do it for a better world for the future.
Thank you so much.